73 verses 21 through 28. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Peggy. Good morning. It's really good to see you all here this morning. Um, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at um, Redemption Church Tucson. And um, if you're new, uh, again, I want to say welcome. Really, really glad you're here. And I uh, would love to get to know you um, uh, I sometimes forget at the end because I'm all caught up in the moment, so I'll say right now, uh, I'll be up here in the front at the end, so if you have any questions or, again, you're new, you want to introduce yourself, I'd love to get to know you, so please come up and say hi. Um, also, if, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, just um, I want to let you know I have a stutter, so it kind of comes in and out as we go, and um, just, just a heads up so you're not trying to fi figure that out. Um, you know, for the next half an hour or so. So, um, also, we're going to get into our time pretty quickly here in God's Word. Um, so, if you have a Bible or an app or um, however you, you choose to, to engage and read God's Word, I encourage you to open that. Turn with me to Psalm 73. And if you don't have a Bible with you, um, if you go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up, uh, somebody will get you one. So, hold it up and keep it up. And uh, somebody will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Okay, we want everyone to have a Bible. También si quieres la Biblia en español, levanta su mano y diga español. Y eso es un regalo a usted. Okay, we want to give everyone a Bible they can read and understand in their own heart language. And um, with that, we're going to get into it here pretty quickly. And uh, I, I said last week, if I say something that you agree with, and, and I'm kind of looking to, to make sure that you're tracking, and I say amen, you say amen. You can shout out amen. It was hot last week. So let's see if this is right. It is cooler in here. Amen? amen. See, yes. Man, some of you guys came back. I'm really glad. I didn't even know if my wife would be here this week. No. <laughs> It was brutal, but uh, praise God, we got to walk through that together, and um, we were like running for the exits because it was refreshing outside in Tucson. But hey, we were patient, and uh, TUSD was good and worked this out with us, so um, let's, let's pray and ask God to lead us through this time in uh, uh, his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, even as we sang that last song, and then as Peggy just now read, um, as we begin to engage our hearts or continue to engage our hearts before you, um, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us and, and that the simple and yet not simplistic reality that you are good, 
would, uh, would sink deeply into our hearts, wherever we're coming from. For those in this room who are not Christians, who would not say they have named the name of Jesus and put their faith in you, I, I pray that you would reveal your goodness. And, and Lord, for everyone in here that might be in a high or a low or somewhere in between, that you would reveal your goodness and how that is meant to define our lives. So Lord, we come expectantly before you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're just going to get into it. We've been in the Psalms this, this summer. It's been refreshing and good. And the, the big idea, the main point in the Psalms is this, that God reveals himself to us, his character and his purposes and his plans. And, and, then, and then from there, God calls us to respond and to have our lives shaped by what he's revealed about himself to us. And as you see here um, in, this, in this great artwork, um, you can see there's, a, there's, there's, there's lows, and that's where it's dark, and you see like hands scratching and, and struggle, and then there's obviously brightness, and, 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 and that's again to display that every season of life, wherever we, we find ourselves, God is calling us, um, even wooing us to himself, and to see him and to be shaped by him in that. And um, on that note, some people have asked me what's happening with this when we're done. I don't know. I don't know if you're wanting to hang it up in here. It's, it's big. Um, but hey, I didn't paint it, so I, have, I cannot say what's being done with it. So ask around. Ask Kelsey Collins up here in the front row. She kind of headed up that project. And if you're like coveting it right now, um, <laughs> shame on you. No, it's good. It's great. I love it. Um, but again, uh, let's, let's just get in here. Let's dive in together. This time, Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It begins with this big idea right there. The author um, kind of just puts it out there right at the start. It says, here's where I'm going right now. God is good. Uh, a seemingly simple truth, like God's good. And um, we could hear that kind of stuff, right? Like we say here as a church a lot, we say all of life is all for Jesus. And that's a simple statement, right? It's a simple sentence. And you could hear that and be like, okay, yeah. And then even if somebody like says that, maybe kind of trite in the wrong moment, you can almost be offended by it because we tend to take really good, simple things and, and make them simplistic, and there's a massive difference between simple and simplistic. Um, in the tradition I grew up in, where I put my faith in Jesus and kind of grew up early on in my life, people would say, some of you guys might have heard this before, someone would say, God is good. And you say back what? All the time. And then I'd say, all the time, God is good. And that might be like you show up and you're like, man, my car just blew up, I'm bleeding, and, and someone just comes back at you, God is good. And then you're like supposed to say all the time and you want to say, all right, let's go right now. Like that, that's offensive because um, you're making something that's true simplistic. So God is good. But what we'll see as we walk through this time, as we walk through these 28 or so verses in this psalm is, um, is, the, is that God is indeed good. But then the author takes it from there. And in verse 2, in fact, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Because he now acknowledges, he begins, God's good. But, but let me walk you through this journey. Like, come along with me as I tell you how easy it is to look to the left or to the right. And to be tempted to think, maybe God's not so good. Maybe I should go there. Maybe it would be a little easier if I, if I stopped giving my life to him and I stopped trusting him and, and if I went this way. 
And, and so this is a time where, where, where he's real. And I, I want to encourage us. I, I, hope, I hope we are all like refreshed in this time this morning by the authenticity and the rawness and the realness of just coming before God. Like the author of this um, says, it says a psalm of Asaph. It might say that in your Bible. And this is this, this psalmist or this author is, is getting real. And my hope, and we'll, we'll see this, my hope is that church um, would stop being a place where we don't feel like we can be real. Where, where we don't feel like someone says, hey, God is good. And we have to like paste a smile on or, or dig down to pretend like it is or like we agree in that moment. And that we could just say, Man, I believe that maybe intellectually right now, but I'm struggling to live in light of that reality. And so as we walk through this, um, I pray we're encouraged and I encourage us to, to push back against that, even in our own hearts, and just to say, I'm not going to be fake here. I don't have to be fake here. God, if God is God, if God is who he says he is, if he's big enough for me to follow him and to trust him, I don't have to like pretend. Amen? So, so let's be encouraged by this. And so now as he goes on, He's like, I was envious of the arrogant, verse 3, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I don't know about you in your house, but something that said a ton in my house is, but it's not fair, right? You, Yes, I have four kids, nine and under. We just had a birthday this weekend, and um, it's just opportunity, right, to, to, to just to say, it's not fair, you know, they got this, I didn't get this, I got this, they got that, they, you know, and just to go, and I'm like, man, where did you get this? You had to get this from somewhere, and I have no idea where you got this. It's not fair. Other people's kids don't say it's not fair. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I know where you got it. And um, the reality is we, we all have that in our hearts. This is our, our natural heart disposition is to be where we are and then to look to the left and the right and to say, it's not fair. I, I, I wish I was there. I, I wish I had what they had. And so that's what this author acknowledges right there in verse 3. Again, he says, God is good. Okay, I'm saying that. I'm not going to apologize for that. God is good. But let me tell you how I almost stumbled and wandered away from that. And just kind of in the end, we'll see he comes back around. God is good. But not before he gets real and takes us on that journey with him and says, man, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, verse 4, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I don't know how those two words go together, fat and sleek. Usually <laughs> it seems like those don't. But in the context in this time, like the wealthy were a little more plump and kind of had, you know, they could afford to eat a lot and eat rich foods. And, and, and so people actually kind of envied people. But I don't know, sleek, you know, they, it, basically he's saying, man, other people have it all together. I, I don't. And I'm struggling with that right now. That's not my reality. I'm not fat. <laughs> Most of us don't complain about that. But in this context, this person, just like us, is looking around and saying, man, they have everything. Um, verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Um, I don't know about you, but, but, but for me, especially growing up, there's a real temptation to look at other people and to see who had what I didn't have. Right, like I had a lunch number. Some of you guys remember I had a lunch number that meant like you got free or reduced lunches, 
And I remember walking through the lunch line and, 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 and anxiety welling up in my, you know, nine-year-old self and, and thinking, you know, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this number and this other person doesn't have to give a number. Now I think everyone has a number and it's a little easier to kind of tell the or to not, you know, tell the difference and not stand out as much. But there was like a sign that was like, free lunch right here, like the have not, you know, or, or kind of deal. And, and, I, and I just remember, you know, and then you'd see, oh, that person's shoes and that person's this and that. And then you grow up and it becomes cool to not have the cool stuff. So that was a lot easier to like shop at their stores and be cool, um, you know, and be simple and all this stuff. But, it, but, but, but the reality is that wherever we are, in fact, I read one quote that said um, that, there, that, that uh, two things will always exist, that the people at the top will be filled with pride and will still struggle. And the people at the bottom will be filled with envy and will still struggle. And if ever the tables are turned, those two will still exist. It'll just be different people filling that position. In, in a nutshell, um, you know, the, the people that are in whatever place where you wish you were are struggling too. I, I used to kind of mock or judge like people that had a lot of money and still struggled. I would be like, how? How are they, like, come on, man, they must just be wimpy because they have a lot and they're still struggling. Um, I don't have anything and I'm struggling, so I have an excuse. But, but that's not true, right? I mean, we can look at popular media, at, at, at athletes, at, you know, Hollywood, celebrities, whatever, and you know, I mean, it's in our face that, that wherever you are, people struggle. Maybe people that seemingly have more can mask it a little differently or a little easier, but even that I'm not convinced of. At the end of the day, we all still have struggles. And so what this psalmist, this author is going through is he's being raw, he's being real, and he's, he's coming to a point of acknowledging that, but he's not there yet. Okay, don't, don't kind of get ahead. He's first at this point, he's like, everyone else has it made and I don't. And I love the rawness and the realness. And I hope that if that's um, where you are right now, that, that you can just admit it. Right? This isn't a place where you have to cover it up and pretend that you're not struggling with what you have or don't have. But at the end of the day, what, what this really comes back around to, hear me, I want to submit this to you, that wherever anyone is at, financially, tax bracket, stature, right? I, that one hits home for me, clothes, attire, um, marriage status, whatever it might be, wherever somebody is at, if it is built upon a foundation that is not God, that is something that you perceive they arrived at on their own, that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and they have it, I guarantee you their life is not made. I guarantee, I, I, as a pastor who loves you and cares about you, I want to just tell you right now, it is true that any foundation built upon anything other than one's relationship and identity being founded in who God is and who God says we are and his promises made to us, it's not going to satisfy. On the left and on the right, it's not going to satisfy. Because God designed us to, to, to have our lives built upon who he is and on his plans and his purposes. And in the very beginning, mankind, Adam and Eve, said, you know, it's not fair, God, that you are God. I want to be God. I want to replace you. I want to be in control. I want, to, I want to define my own life. I don't want my identity to come from you. And so, again, that right there in the very beginning, it's not fair, God. I'm going to figure it out on my own, and I'm going to walk away from you. And that sin, in a nutshell, is not God. It's life, possessions, uh, status, personality, um, whatever it might be, built upon 
a life apart from God, and that's not good. And the psalmist continues on, and he says some, th- some things here as he goes on, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he talks about how, 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 how unfair it is, and he talks about that the people that seemingly have it all together um, you know, don't even follow God, and, that, and that's just not fair. And then he goes on in verse 10 and 11. He says, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? He's saying like, he's kind of saying, hey, God, on behalf of your people right now, um, I'm not so sure it's worth following you. Right? I, I say with my mouth, I just said God is good, but right now in this moment, I'm just not so sure. Because it's hard. Amen to that. Okay, again, if you're n- n- new to this deal, or maybe you're not, um, I hope you're encouraged by that reality. It, it's not easy. Anything that promises to you, hey, come follow Jesus, it's going to be easy. You're going to just have it made, and you get whatever you ask, and you get whatever you want, and, and just life is easy, and you'll never look to your left or to your right and wish you had something else. It's just easy. Um, th- this is blowing that up, and he's acknowledging it's not easy, but he goes a step further, and he says, maybe it's not even worth it. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. All in vain. He, he's basically saying, like, man, I'm, I'm a punk, for having done this thing, for, for, for trying to live this Christian life, for trying to walk with Jesus, for waking up in the morning and reading my Bible, for coming to church, for, for, for exposing myself and, and to others and to allowing other people into my life. Maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe, um, maybe it was all in vain. Maybe I, I'm a fool. And kind of flash forward in 1 Corinthians, um, I didn't even think, of, I didn't plan on going here, but in 1 Corinthians Paul, the author, says, you're right, actually. He says, you're right. If Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, that's why we have a cross bear. If Jesus didn't really die on a cross for your sins and raise from the dead to prove that he is God, to prove that he is good, to, to win you into a relationship with himself, then you're right. It's in vain and it's foolish. So, so this whole, I'm going to try on church and maybe it's good. Um, it, the Bible doesn't agree with that, by the way. Just like being a good Christian church-going person if it's not real. The, the Bible doesn't affirm that. And again, this psalmist goes there in verse 13 and says, it's all in vain. And then I, I just kind of came up with a little list. Because again, I, I think we're not, we're not used to being real, even with ourselves. And, and, and so I just want to maybe give us permission this morning to be real. And to say, to maybe go through a list that I think probably a lot of us have. Of, of saying, you know, is it worth it? God, is it worth it? And this list, um, I, I, this really blessed and ministered to me, and I hope it does to you as well, but this is a list that says something along the lines of like, I'm good, but, but I'm suffering. And, and why does it feel like the people that aren't good, the people that are, that are making shady business deals that don't really care about others, right? We say that we, we love God and love our neighbor. Well, the, 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 the people that don't love their neighbor, man, they sure seem to have it all made right now. Man, I, why, God? And then it goes on. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, man, I'm single. And I've committed my life to Jesus. I've entrusted my heart to him. I've said, God, my future, my future spouse, my future family, I entrust to you. I'm, I'm going to have it your way. I'm not going to go out on my own, and I'm not going to make it on my own. And, and, and yet here I am still single. And yet the 
people that are hooking up and shacking up and clubbing and, and just doing it their way, they're, they, get their, they get their happily ever after. It's not fair. Or, man, we did it the right way. We waited to have sex until we got married, and then, um, you know, we're struggling with infertility. And yet my, you know, 16-year-old neighbor is, is promiscuous and, and pregnant and um, outside of marriage. It's not fair. Man, I'm doing it right in my job. I'm, um, I'm showing up on time. I'm honoring my boss. I'm not entering into to office politics. I'm not gossiping. And yet, promotion after promotion keeps passing me by. And uh, here I am, struggling. I, I used to do this to make money. It was a little bit shady, but I, I said I wouldn't do that anymore. I, I, I want to love God and love my neighbor, so, so now I'm trying to do it right, and here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm without a job for a couple months now. It's not fair, God. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe having a quiet time, and if you're new to this whole church thing, that's kind of language for waking up, um, and, and at some point during the day, spending consistent time with God. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his love, not to earn his forgiveness, but because you need him, because you want to know him, because you believe at least in your head that he's good. And so maybe, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe, maybe spending time with him, maybe giving of your tithes and your offerings, maybe coming to church, maybe being in community and still not feeling like you're fully known by anybody else, maybe it's not worth it. In fact, maybe I should just go the way that everyone else is going. That's what verse 13 and verse 14 takes us. All the day long I had been stricken and rebuked every morning. And in verse 15, he's just, he's kind of transitioning there, but he's saying, man, maybe, maybe it'd be easier if I went to the left or the right. Maybe I should just go that way. Maybe God's not so good after all. And yet, he comes around in verse 15. The first step out of the place of despair, as I heard one author say, is to look to God. Because I don't have anything to give you here. I don't have steps, right? I don't give a lot of lists of do these things and your life will be made. You know, when someone comes up and says, I'm struggling right now, my I'm single and I don't want to be. I'm, I, we want to have kids, but we can't. We want to we wanna be in this tax bracket, but we're stuck in this one. We want to have this job, but I'm stuck doing this. I, I, and wherever it is, I'll admit, I don't have a book to throw at you. I don't have a bunch of steps to give you. But all I have, I think, is the best thing that any of us ever needs, and it's this. Look to God. Look to him. It's the first step out of the place of despair. Maybe not circumstantially. Maybe your circumstances don't change. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I'm not going to say, hey, put your faith in Jesus and it's all going to change circumstantially right away. I don't know that. I can't make that promise. But I can say that heart posture and place of despair, look to him and I guarantee you he will enter into it, enter into where you are and he'll take you out of there. Amen? And that's good news. And so this author says right there in verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, he's like, he's on that verge. He's like, maybe, maybe it's all in vain. God is good, but I almost stumbled. I almost walked away. Maybe I should go that way. No, 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 no. That's, that's tempting, but no, God is good, and I'm going to make my tent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to establish my feet in this place that God is good. And as he's, as he's taking us along through this journey, he's saying, oh, I'm so glad I did. If I would have wandered, 
He says, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Verse 15. Let this be a warning. We have a lot of young people in here. We have a lot of, we have everyone in here, which I'm so thankful for. As a young parent, this is, um, this really stood out to me. That, that we think it's all about me. We talk about this a lot on our staff team because I'm not a millennial. I maybe have a little bit of millennial envy. You know, I try. Um, but I'm not. I'm not there. I'm right on the verge. But, um, and I love you, okay? I do. I sometimes make fun. But, I mean, there is so much that, that this generation, which I think is like 29 and below is millennial. I don't know how far that goes. But, you know, millennial, you, you know who you are. Um, one danger, though, I want to lovingly encourage you in is um, the me-centeredness. That is as old as sin, right? I talked about in the beginning, Adam and Eve said, it's all about me. I don't want to want to follow God, but it's showing up in different ways today, and it's, I mean, I love Instagram, I love all this stuff that, that, that millennials have brought to the table, but man, it, this is a warning that if it's all about you, um, it's so selfish, and, and it's, and you are, you're giving up an opportunity to leave a legacy, a blessing, and not every millennial, not every young person, right? There can be old people that are just as selfish. It's not an age thing here, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tendency. It's a, it's a lure to go this way, to go that way, to make it all about me. And he's saying, man, if I would have embraced YOLO, and I know that was like two years ago, okay? I'm not trying to be cool by saying YOLO. I don't know what's cool now, but I'll find out soon, okay? If you're close to me, it's your job to tell me what's cool so I can use these things. But YOLO, right? You only live once or whatever it is. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up this, I'm going to give up on this marriage right now because, hey, I don't want to live my life in suffering. I don't want to go this way. So, hey, you only live once. I'm going to make it, I'm going to get mine right now. I'm going to do mine. I'm going to do my thing. Maybe, maybe, because I think a lot of my friends are in this place right now. My kids need a little bit of church, right? Everybody needs a little bit of God. Everybody needs to, needs to have some, you know, church in their life. So I'm going to come to church. It's not really for me. It's for my kids. Or I'm going to come and maybe my, 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 my parents' generation, some of you guys might fit into that. I can't even believe this was true. Their parents would drop them off and then would be like, I'll see you in an hour and a half. And you've got to believe that those that our parents were like, that's messed up, man. You gotta, and then, you know, all kinds of chaos ensued there. But saying like, you get it. But hear me, you can't give to your kids what you're not tasting yourself. All right, you can't say, hey, this is going to be good for you, but I'm just going to stand here and not, and, not, and not taste it myself. You can't give God to your kids if, if he's not changing and shaping you. Okay, this is a parental warning for all of us. He says, if I would have wandered, if I would have just given in and thrown in the towel, the next generation would have struggled and suffered and then he goes on, though, and he says, he, he starts to change his tune a l- little bit, and he starts to say, um, God, God is good. God is not going to turn his back on me. Um, even though I am still single and I don't want to be, I'm not pretending, I don't have to act like this, even though I still want kids and I don't have them, even though I still don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but, but, but I, I'm in this place right now. God is good. And let me tell you this, okay? This might sound like bad news, but it is the best, the best news you could ever hear. God loves you too much to give you anything other than himself. God will use struggle. God will use provision. God will use whatever it takes 
to bring you to a place where you recognize that he is enough. Okay, a good way to acknowledge that you might be wandering to the left or to the right, that you might be using God, is if you think, I'm going to follow God in order to get X, then whatever X is, whatever fill in the blank is, that's actually your God. God, the God of the Bible, is just a means to that end. Okay, God is just the avenue to your real God. Man, it just got really quiet in here. But God loves you too much to let you stray away from him. And that's good news. It's scary, I admit. It is scary. But he will woo you to himself by withholding or providing or giving or allowing you to struggle. And I don't know. That does not mean you're in this place. Okay, my wife and I struggled with infertility for a long time. And people would say that. And sometimes we would hear it and think, Oh, so because I have a lesson to learn, God won't give us children. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know at all that that's what scripture is saying or teaching. But what the author comes here is he, as he embraces the freedom to be raw and to just be honest with God, you can in that place say, I don't know why I'm here, but I trust your good and I trust that whatever you're doing in my life is for my good and for your glory and that's so comforting. I don't have all the answers still. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm paying the bills. I don't know what I'm doing. But, but, but I'm, I'm comforted somehow. And that's good news. Amen? And so he continues on now as his tune changes a little bit. Verse 17. Or first in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed too wearisome to me. Seem too wearisome a task, right? It's exhausting. That hope, I'm in this place. I've been in this place forever. I've been struggling. I've been wandering. I've been, uh, your goodness hasn't felt so good to me, God, for a long time. And it's exhausting. And yet, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. What he's saying is then in that place I acknowledged. Maybe it's not so easy, <laughs> to be over there or over there. Maybe that's not the good life, right? Kanye West circa like five, ten years ago, right? Maybe it's not so good to go after the good life as has been defined by everyone else around me. As I entered into the sanctuary, insert as time grew on, people would read that and be like, oh, that means God's presence. And then later people would mean, oh, that means the temple, where you go and you offer sacrifices and it's wearisome, it's arduous, it's tiresome, and yet I know God's good, so I'm going through this. And guys, in, your, in our place right now, hear me, look at me. Read with me. This all comes into better perspective. I don't have the verse up here because I just thought about it like a couple minutes ago. But in um, Hebrews chapter 4, we see how good this good news is. Wherever you are, I'm struggling, God. I want to wander. I want to stumble. I believe you're good, but I'm not so sure. I'm tempted. But my first step out of despair is to enter into your presence. And here is good news in Hebrews chapter 4. The end of verse 14 says this. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And down in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of, of need. Oh, I hope that is a refreshing shower for your soul. That this, this psalmist is saying, I believe, God, your mercy and your grace has not been so clearly proven but still I'm going to trust you. Still I'm going to move toward you. Still in this place of despair, I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to call out for help. And yet we know how he proves his goodness. We know that as we just read, we don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder if God's going to ask or if God's going to answer when you call out, God, are you there? God, I need you. God, I'm struggling. I need some answers for this situation I'm in. We look to the cross where God proved his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place and then to victoriously raise from the dead so that as we just read in Hebrews, we can now draw near to the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence. We can say because Jesus has blown the doors wide open, I don't have to pretend. I can now come to church and say, God, I need you and I need you to show yourself to me. Down in verse, um, in verse 20, he gets real and raw. He says, like a dream when one wakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He's acknowledging, he's starting to see more clearly. He's starting to see, oh yeah, that, those people, the haves, the people above me, the people I think it would be the good life over there or over there. I'm not judging, okay? We're not here in church judging everyone else. What, what we're acknowledging right here is anything built upon a foundation that is apart from God is a, is, a, is a house of cards, or as he just said, a slippery slope. It, it, won't, it won't satisfy. Man, the, the people that, that have it all are, 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 are grasping to it because if it's taken away, man, all hope is lost. You, you, and you hear stories of that, and that's no indictment on people that seemingly have it all. Okay, I've, I've said this before, because I grew up in a more of a poor family, and I can tell you that, that, that sometimes the people without can, can be the most money-hungry, greedy people out there, the most consumed with finances. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes it's not where your treasure that you have, but the treasure that you long for. Come on, Amen. Okay, so it's, it's, it's not a what you have. This isn't, okay, don't go there. This is saying what your heart is, is longing for. That's your treasure. And, and wherever that is, if it's built upon anything other than your identity and your purpose and your relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it will fail you every single time. And he goes on here in verse 22. He says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. I went beast mode on you, God. <laughs> and that's not a good thing. Beast mode's not a good thing, actually, ever. Um, because uh, Seattle Seahawks said it. And sorry, we have a couple fans in here. And, uh, but seriously, right, beast mode is a good thing. It's like, ah, I, I, I went crazy. I took my life by the, by the horns, and I made something of it. And he's acknowledging, God, I was crazy to wander from you. I was crazy to question your goodness. And he acknowledges, again, let this be a place where we can be real, where we can say, in our time of confession, in our time of prayer, we can just come honestly and we can acknowledge, God, I'm, I've, I'm foolish, I'm beastly in the fact that I wander away from you. 
And we know, we can say that, we can be real because we know that God's not saying like, yeah, you were, you should be ashamed of yourself. Go give me 20 push-ups and come back. Go do this and come back. Go do this, 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 and this, and then maybe I'll accept you. No, Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that gives you the freedom right now to be real and to be honest and to confess your sin, to confess your beastliness before God, and then to bring you back to a place where you say, but in the end, I have nowhere else to turn. God, where, though I've wandered away from you, you're still good. And your goodness leads me back to your goodness. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Man, you have the freedom. We have the freedom here, church. Even in our time of response that's about to come up, we have the freedom to come honestly and authentically before God. For those of you who are here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you have the freedom right now because he is good and gracious and patient and long-suffering. You can acknowledge, I'm, I'm not so sure I believe in you. I'm not so sure I trust that you're good. I'm not so sure I trust that you will provide if I continually entrust my life to you. But this psalmist, this author says, but I'm here to encourage you that in my own experience, in my own life, in hindsight, I acknowledge all the while God was holding me by my right hand. He's taking me through, as Psalm 23, he's taking me through the, 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 the valley of the shadow of death in order to reveal that he provides and that he's good. And he goes on, this is such a beautiful reality here that he says in verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My, 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 my flesh, that's my ability, my capacity, my, my get-or-done posture, my bank account, my relationships, my, my winsomeness, whatever it is, my life built apart from God, that's flesh. That's what he's saying there. And he's saying that will fail. And I pray that whoever you are in this room today, that you would be soberly aware that whatever your life is built upon, it will fail. It will fail. And yet he comes to a place where he acknowledges, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So that wherever I am, whether I have or I have not, whatever relationship I have, it's good. God has given it to me. He's blessed me with it. But that's not my whole foundation. If that's taken away, my portion is still secure because God is my portion. God is enough. God is enough, whatever happens. And, and what would it look like? Okay, imagine with me for a moment. What would it look like for you if your life was so secure, so firmly grounded on the fact that God is your portion, that you've, he's already given to you himself so fully, and he's already promised and said, I won't leave you. I, I've got you. I know you're going to be tempted, but I'm going to hold your right hand all the while because I love you. What would it look like to live your life, to hold on to your relationships, to pursue your dreams, to, to, to seek to pay your bills, to seek to make right of what is broken, built upon the foundation of the fact that God is enough? Man, no relationship, no dream, no anything could be taken away from you 
that would rock you in that place. And it doesn't mean that those relationships or those, well, those dreams are not as important as they are. It means that you can now pursue them with the freedom of knowing, hey, even if I don't get this, even if this is taken away from me, even if my health may fail, though my outer man is wasting away, my inward man is being renewed day by day, God is enough. God has provided whatever happens, whatever tomorrow holds, whatever the next 10 minutes hold, whatever happens, God's got me. He says my portion is in God and it is secure forever, right? We just had a birthday party on Wednesday and you, when, we didn't give a cake. We just had little cupcakes so everyone gets the, gets the same one, right? But, and it's easier and I don't know, my wife's creative and made great ice cream filled cupcakes, but, but, like, remember when you're at a, at a birthday party as a, as a young kid and you're, like, looking around the cake and, and, and every kid's thinking, like, what's going to be my portion? What, what piece am I going to get? That, that one in the middle with the, with the little, you know, statue on it or little G.I. Joe or Elsa and Anna or whatever it is. And all the filling, all the goodies, all the stuff is on that portion. That's mine. And you're watching the people cut. And, of course, the birthday kid, even if the birthday kid is a brat and is ungrateful and just cried about all the toys that he or she just got, hypothetically, right, never happens. But, right, you know the birthday kid gets the best portion. So then you're like, okay, next in line. What's next? And sometimes that's how we live with each other. But God is big enough and his provision and his goodness is enough that he says, hey, your provision is the best portion. It's me. It's my son. It's a relationship with me. It's forgiveness. It's acceptance. It's stability. It's uncircumstantial confidence. And so in that place, you can say, God's got me. That's what God wants for you. He loves you too much to let you settle for anything other than the portion that is your relationship and your identity and your purpose and your life with him. And, and I believe, I'm convinced that everyone in this room wants that same thing. That everyone in this room, and it's somewhere in our heart, you want what cannot be taken away. And the only thing you have that cannot be taken away is your identity and your purpose and your life and your relationship with a holy and righteous God who has forgiven you and accepted you and is calling you to be his. Because God is good and God has got you. He's got you. And that's good news, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that um, you give us simple truth that is in no way simplistic, God. I think we all have a lot to think about. We all have moments behind us and ahead of us that will bring us back to this place of wondering, is God really good? And yet you promise that you'll never leave us. You promise that, you're, that you'll hold our hand and walk us through that journey and that you'll continually bring us back to a place of recognizing, yeah, he's good. He's given his son. He's raised him from the dead. He's established life that cannot be taken away. That's the good life. Lord, I pray right now that we will respond in faith and in gratitude and in trust in you, our good, good God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.